Um, my name is Gary, and I'm in from Nashville, Tennessee. I appreciate the opportunity to do live with you this morning. Hey, guys, let me know if that's me or whatever on the mic there. Um, but good morning. My name is Gary. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. Um, my wife's name is Johnny. I have two daughters, McKenna and Story Morgan. I'm curious if you would just journey with me in this thought just for a moment. What's next? We all think about that. We think about what is next and what does that mean for us? I mean, we all think about it on a continual basis. I met my wife moons and moons ago at an event similar to this. The unique thing about this was she was in a prayer circle. She was engaging with people, and I leaned in to meet her, and I wanted to know what's next. We had the opportunity this weekend to be at Lake Barkley. Had a tremendous time um, sitting at a table, eating with each other. It did take a long time to get our food, but that's okay. Any of you guys were in here, were hanging with us at the retreat, you're like, oh, my. You know what I mean? It took forever. But it was great because it created opportunity for conversation. Great time studying God's work. And continue, we would say, what's next? The best thing, well, not the best thing. One of the unique things this weekend was the dinner was so long getting into dinner on Friday evening. There were some adults that looked at me during dinner and said, how short are you going to be? And I'm like, what do you mean? This is session one. I know, but I go to bed 30 minutes ago. I'm like, really? Come on, man. What's next is this is what we're going to be again. What's next, no matter where you are in life, it's a phrase that's in our mind or something that we think about on a continual basis. Some of you are thinking, what's next? After this right here, you're heading into Bible study. Some of you are thinking, what's next ahead for lunch? Some of you are thinking that on a continual basis. My daughters who live in Brooklyn, New York, one of them is in upstate New York, and they're driving from upstate back to Brooklyn this afternoon, and I'm thinking, what's next? This is why. They live in New York City, and they never drive. And they're the worst drivers in the entire world. They don't have cars. They have nothing like that. So they rented cars. And in my mind as a dad, I was just thinking, oh, my, what's next? Something that we think about on a continual basis. It has something for us individually. It has something to think about families. Something has a yeah. So it's good to be able to dive in life. If you're a newbie here, um, it's great to have your journey. I had the great opportunity to do life for 24 hours. Chris, with Ben, I'll forget everybody, with Nate, JP, with Joey. It's just been really, really good. So what is next? There's an author that says it this way. When God made you, he wired you in a certain way. And he uniquely shaped you for a contribution. God did not make you and put you here on this planet just to breathe air, just to take up space, just to die. If you're here, there's a contribution you to make. So how about you? How has God uniquely shaped you? Now, for many of you here, you might think, I don't like my shape. That's how I was going. I didn't like my height. I didn't like a wandering right eye. I didn't like that I had a big mouth. Don't look, all right? And you're like, how do you know you had those things? Because middle school, everybody tells you stuff in middle school. You know what I mean? That's just the norm of what it is. But God's uniquely shaped us in our look, in our conversation, in our giftedness. What are your gifts? What is your heart? What is your ability? What is your personality? What is your experience? And how might you, along with all of us, collectively join in for what's next in the journey for the Father? 
I'd love for you to look into a passage with me this morning from the book of Colossians. If you have your scripture, you can open up this morning. If not, I'll share with you. Colossians chapter 4, it's this unique conversation that Paul is having with individuals. Now, he's having in reference to writing, and he's writing them a letter, Colossians, in an area called Colossae. And he's saying, I want to come alongside you because I want you to understand what is next. Because they were living in a rapidly changing world. They were struggling with not only who they were, but what their conditions were like. So let me read. Colossians 4, verse 2. Paul writes and he says, continue. He's saying this is what's next. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Verse 5, what's next? He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. What's next? Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We'll pause right there. Then we'll come back and weave through that. See, Paul is communicating to a group, Colossians in Colossae, a unique area that's not so different than where I live and really your connection really with me. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I live in urban Nashville. You know where the gulch is? I live right in the gulch. If you happen to come through the gulch before and you know we're like seven thousand tourists take their picture every day in the front of the wings right there. That's where I live. Matter of fact, our guest bedroom is right here and the wings are right here. So if you ever come and you're going to take a photo, just throw a few rocks up there. Not too hard, okay? And we'll, we'll be like, hey, how's it going? You're making strange pictures just like the rest of the tourists in Nashville, you know? But we live in Nashville, Tennessee. And as we look at Colossae, what was going on there, there's not so much of a distinct difference. You see, Colossae at that time was a main trade route. So people from all over that part of the region would flow through. They would know a word and phrase then, just like we know a word and phrase now because of the last five years of our life. Supply train. Supply train, all those things would have mattered through Colossae. You see, a supply came through that area on a continual basis. Nashville, Tennessee, this region in which we live, is an area that has interstates that flow through it, which means supply can get to 60 to 75% of our country within a couple of days. So there's all kinds of things that flow through our region. Sitting at a table um, yesterday with one of the conversation groups at, um, at our retreat, they said, man, we need more supply help. I'm like, what do you mean? Our interstate." Interstate 24 from here to Nashville, from here up to Kentucky, it's just not large enough, which I said, what do you think it needs? They said, more lanes. I said, really? Every time I get on the interstate, there's an accident. I have to hit a highway. I have to do this to come up here every time. Maybe not every time, but it seems like 50% of the time they're like, exactly. That's why we need more in order to flourish and to roll through to Nashville, to the region, and north. Now, some of you guys in here would say, we don't want more lanes. Because we don't want more of you Nashvilleans coming up to Pleasant View, okay? We're in a unique place. It's a little quiet. We drink our coffee. We eat our meals. We get our ice cream. 
and we don't have millions of tourists running around. There's no pedal taverns cruising through our city. You know what I mean? There are in ours. We call those woohoo driving, woohoo uh, travel uh, wagons. Whenever you're feeling struggling about yourself and your identity, you just roll down your window. You come up with one. You come up alongside one of those pedal taverns. You shell, hey, hey, how's it going? And they all go, woohoo! You feel good about yourself for a moment. Even though it's fake, you do feel good about yourself. I pulled up at a crosswalk the other day, and there they come, 17 young ladies, all with cowboy hats, pink, all with white boots, except for one. She had a white hat on. You knew who she was. She was the bride. So I said, how many? And my wife's like, would you stop yelling at women out your window? And I said, well, I'm not yelling at one specific, just the whole group. And you're right here with me. She's like, this is so embarrassing. And the girl's like, 16 bridesmaids. And they all yell, whoa, whoa. My wife's like, you feel better about yourself now? See, we have this supply of people and trade that goes through natural. Colossae had people and trade coming through the city. And because of that, there was a wide array of people that came through Colossae. Synchronistic individuals that had different thoughts and ideas of faith and life. Different cultures and ethnicities that were engaging in the city. Some people that were far the far for the things of God, some people that were far away from the things of God, some people were curious about the things of God. So when Paul writes, he writes and says, this is what I have for you in the midst of this unique environment in which you find yourself. There are also those environments that were not just far away from God, not just for God, and not just curious about God, but were false teachers who were saying, this isn't foundation of what it means to know God. And so Paul communicates to them. So I'd love you to think with me for just a moment. How does that relate to us right now? How does Paul pinning a letter from jail to Colossae to the people in Colossians about where they were in life and the unique changes going on in their body? What does that mean? mean for us I'd love you to think with me for a moment about where you live I'd love you to think about where you go to school think about where you work what are the natural rhythms of your life my wife loves to say this word what are the entrails where you shop where you eat who do you interact with what are the things that you do in life who are the people that you do life with and what's next see Paul before he wrote which we know Colossians 3 4 he communicated or excuse me in 4 he communicated in chapter 3 verse 2 this he said set your mind on things that are above not on things that are on earth for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ and God. If you were with us on the retreat, we looked at three main thoughts, justification, sanctification, and glorification. 
You're on their tree. See that woven in? Let me read it again. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Then in verse 17, he goes on to say, and whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He's really talking about a new self. Once you've entered into a relationship with the Father, you have a new self. You've exchanged your story for his story. So you have a new relationship with him and a new relationship with people around you. Let your life with Christ impact those around you. It's interesting. An author said it this way. A long, long time ago, before Jesus was born as a man, before Jesus was born as a man, before the New Testament was written, God had established this pattern of interacting with humanity, this method of operation to bring people into a relationship with him, to empower them through that relationship with him, and give them an opportunity to live and to share his story. It's intriguing to me that what's next, God gives us the opportunity to not only speak, but to live in his ways among people that do not yet know him or people that are struggling in life. Let's go back to the passage. Because Paul talks about what's next. Verse 2, he says it this way. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. To continue means do not hesitate, do not waver, stay the course. It's this unique thing about athletics. Athletics and sporting teams have these phrases they say on a continual basis. One, I get, but I'm never able to chant. One is, this is my house. You ever see guys, they get up on a team, they're like, not now, this is my house. And my wife's like, why is he yelling, this is his house? And I'm just like, this is home court. It means nobody's going to take over at that time, point in time. It's their home court. But there's another one they say on a continual basis, let's go. You'll see in the Super Bowl, let's go. You'll see in the NBA, let's go. You'll see being college athletes, let's go. That's what he's saying right here. Let's go. What's next is that we continue steadfast, meaning we're persistent. We give attention to We're watchful, meaning we stay awake with an attitude of being spiritually alert. Now, my wife and I live in the downtown area right now, but we lived in East Nashville, just outside of Nashville, for almost 18 years. In the East Nashville area, if you know it well, that's an area that stay alert, all right? When we bought a house there many, many moons ago, my dad said this to me, how dare you bring my daughters in this neighborhood? I'll never forget my dad saying that. And then right before he passed away, he said, son, that was a wise financial move you made right there, you know? But in East Asheville, we had to teach our daughters this, always keep your head on a swivel. Just look around. Always know what's going on around. Ben and I were talking about where he used to live in North Nashville. He says he misses that a little bit. But in North Nashville where he lived, he always had to have his head on a swivel looking around. Where he lives here in this area, you don't have to have your head on a swivel. Our kids didn't grow up just cruising down the street on their bicycles, all right? They could ride in the backyard, or we would take them to a place to ride. Because our area, as much as we love where we were, wasn't a place that you just rode up and down the sweet street. You always had to have your head on a swivel. You had to look around. We love where we live, and we love the area. We do guided places there to engage and take next steps in a continuous way, but we had to look around. 
in the scripture right here, when he says to be watchful, what he's saying is to those at Colossae, to me in Nashville, to you in this region, to look around, to keep our head on a swivel spiritually, to be aware, because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, it says in First Peter, looking for someone to devour. He's saying, let this be your next step, to continue steadfastly, watchful, with an attitude of thankfulness and prayer. Levi Lesko says it this way, refuse to live a life that's cut. Don't hobble back and forth between Jesus and the world, or slowly you will become like the sickly hybrid version of you, the you you were born to be. The you that God is shaping and rearranging and working our lives for us to continue steadfastly, watchful, with a spiritual eye, knowing what he has next for us. And that's what Paul's writing. See, he's writing to unique individuals, mainly Gentiles. You believe that because in the book of Colossians, there's not very many references to the Old Testament. When you find references to the Old Testament in one of the epistles or one of the Gospels, you're going to find a writer writing to normally a Jewish congregation or a Jewish community of faith. But if it's Gentiles, they didn't have that background of the Old Testament that we would know. So he just shoots straight with them right there. And so he's interacting with the Gentiles. He says, you come to follow Christ. There's false teachers all around. You live in a changing culture and time. There's all kinds of thoughts in life. There's different things to distract you and move you away from what it means to be found in the ways of God. I long for you to continue. And then he goes into a unique phrase, and he says, at the same time, in verse 3, pray for us also. What does he want for them to pray about? Look at what he says. Pray that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of that which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So Paul says, I want you to pray that God would open a door for the story of Jesus. You would say here at 24, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. This good news is that God came in flesh and bone to rescue and renew humanity through Christ, for the sake of others. Pray that God would open a door for the gospel. Pray that God might open a door for a story. Pray that God might make a way. Now, normally, looking at the Scripture, this is where we kind of bathe. I mean, really, to be real honest. This is where communities of faith say, wow, don't we have professionals to do that? We probably don't even verbally say that, but we think that. But think about how Paul's writing here. He's not writing to the pastor, Colossae. He's not writing to just the elders or the leaders. He's writing to a community of faith. Say, you want to flourish in the ways of the Father, in the way he created you to be? I want you to pray to continue steadfastly in prayer. I want you to be watchful and thankful. But I want you to also pray for us. Pray that there might be what's called in Scripture a person of peace, like the woman at the well, like the Ethiopian eunuch like the demoniac individual, a person that doesn't know the story of God, that God's going to pave a way to interact with them so that they might know the story of Christ. Pray that God might open a door. So we're I do live in an apartment community. 
and my wife and I's role in our apartment community is to throw parties. It's the craziest thing. We work with a nonprofit group called Apartment Life. And for Apartment Life, we're placed in an apartment community. We're just like a pool table or a ping pong table. We're an amenity. So we enter into the apartment community, and we throw two to three parties a month for the entire apartment community. And then we welcome the residents for the apartment community it's in order to create retention that people stay at the apartment long because they have a sense of belonging and community they like where they are. For apartment life, it's faith-based. It's to live and share the story of Jesus within that setting. So we do that. But it's interesting. We're not the norm in the apartment community. One of the reasons we're not the norm is the average age is 27, which we are not. I shared with the crew this weekend, my wife would like me to share with She's closer to 27 than I, okay? We are not. But what we find in our apartment community by throwing parties, by welcoming residents, God has provided us more opportunities and doors that are open in order to share and tell us. There's one individual. We're at a party one night. I just walked up to the table and said, hey, how you doing? My name's Gary. This is my wife, Johnny. We throw parties here. No, at our party, there's about 70, 80 people just hanging out, eating food, just having a great, great evening. We throw the parties, not in our apartment. Somebody else said, you have 80 people in your apartment? No, you can't have 80 people in a 700 square foot apartment. Okay, don't work like that. It would be a party, though. You know what I mean? But it's one of the apartments of business. So we're there. I introduced myself to this individual, and I said, how do you find yourself here tonight? And guys in the room. How did he find himself here? There's normally two or three things. It's either beverage, it's either food, or it's either young ladies. That's how people find themselves in the party. Belonging community kind of comes out of that. He said, I'm trying to meet young ladies. I'm trying to meet people. I just moved into Nashville. I don't know anyone. I said, how do you normally meet people then? He said, I normally go salsa dancing. That's what he said. To me. I'm like, no salsa dancing tonight, man. Matter of fact, my family doesn't allow me to dance in public. It's a scary scene, okay? And I said, well, how did you find yourself here? He said, I knew it was good food tonight. I said, that's great. I said, how's the salsa dancing going, meeting people then? He said, ah, not too good. I said, what do you mean? He said, last time I was salsa dancing, I met this young lady. And I thought, wow, this might be an opportunity for her to meet someone. Not only to meet someone, it's a young lady. And then she invited me to her church. That's what the guy says to me. And I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, I didn't want to go to church. He has no idea about me and my life and my story and everything. And I said, well, what church was it? And he told me, I said, it's a great church. Did you go? No. He said, but my mom found out about it. I love moms. Go moms. Continue moms. Next step, mom. And then she started sending me books. I'm like, what do you mean books? From all these Christian authors like C.S. Lewis, Tim Keller, N.T. Wright, who are three fabulous writers. And I said to him, oh, I've read those books. And he went, oh, no. Are you one of those? And I said, I'm not sure what that means, one of those. A reader? He's like, no, you know what I mean. I said, I guess I am one of those. I'm one of those that's taken next steps in faith. Because I feel like it's so as I read, I'm on my life. And he says, well, man, a girl salsa dancing, it was about that. My mom sent me books. And now I'm meeting you in an apartment. I guess I need to talk which I said, hey, it's up to you, man. We begin to talk. It doesn't always happen like that. 
normally at a party, I'm just in and out like, hey, how's it going? It'd be like, hey, Chris, how you doing? Aaron, how's it going? Ben, how you rolling? What's going on here? How you doing? That night, we settled in and talked about the things of God and gospel. So she and God What I found is what I know. People far away from God, God's drawn to himself. Of people in Nashville, Tennessee, my apartment, eight out of ten that do not have relationship with us. Nine out of ten that aren't engaged in local community faith, that are curious about the things of God. In the scripture, Paul writes to those at Colossae and says, Pray for me, and also pray for yourself. Be watchful and pray that God might open a door. Verse 4. And as you pray, pray that you might make it clear which is how I ought to speak. The story of Christ. I listened to an author yesterday and he says, don't pray so much for someone else's agenda. Pray for your own agenda. I thought, what does that even mean? What he meant was God's going to work in that other individual's life. Pray that God would create an opportunity for you to live, to share, to engage, that you might be able to share that God has designed us to be in a right relationship with him. But because of brokenness in life, because of our sin, we don't live in that design unless we've entrusted our life to Christ. But that God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross so that we might be in right relationship with Father. There for us that are living in a broken world and we find ourselves broken, far away from God, God longs us to turn and to believe. Jesus, Lord, or not. And then God begins to restore us and reshape us in the retreat, sanctifies, forms into his image. Now, normally, this is where we all bail, don't we? I can never share Christ with anyone. For me. Verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of our time. How about we walk in wisdom? You practice. Develop friendships with all of humanity versus isolating ourselves. Colossae had all these different individuals coming in. And the writer writes, Paul, it says, don't isolate yourself. Continue to walk steadfast. Watch. Be spiritually alert. Be a student of the culture as you develop friendships and relationships. That means you ask questions about other people. This weekend, because I'm hanging out at 24 Pleasant View area, I ask questions like, what's the lift like on your truck? <laughs> Seriously. I drive a VW. And I told a friend this week I was coming up here, he said, you want to borrow my truck as you're driving up there? Pleasant? I said, I'm just going to kind of go for it, man. They've got to accept me in part. 
but be a student of the culture. Find out about things that are around you, ways that you engage, join people in their regular activities. So for you and I, we want to develop friendships, be a student of the culture, join people in their regular activities. That means we move out of isolation, that we don't lock down. We listen to the stories of others. We discuss common interests, and we share God's story in culturally relevant ways. What does it mean in our own life? See, God's desire is for us to show love to people who are loved by God so they might hear the story of God. Sympathy is no action or no substitute for action, David Livingston says. And Paul is writing to Colossae, and he says, this is what I have for you, and this is what he has for us at Pleasant View. It's what he has for us for 24 Church. That's what he has for us for followers of Christ. He's saying for us, ask the Lord, how would you like me to live and to demonstrate my life as I walk alongside of you? Because there are people all around me that are far away from the story of God. I was at a Thanksgiving dinner here a few months ago. That would have been around Thanksgiving, okay? And one of the individuals said, I started to bring one of my family members to the meal, but they're not about church at all. I totally get that. In their mind, they were thinking church service. And in my mind, I'm thinking, just be the church. Love. Come alongside. Develop friendships. Be a student of the culture. Join people in their regular activities. Listen to the stories of others. Discuss common interests. And then find opportunities to live and share with that individual. That happened with Rob that day. See, when we see spirit-led needs, we can communicate with genuine love and kindness. And when we pray for this, if Paul's saying, pray for me, we'll see God open the doors. Now, this is where we normally bail. Verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you might know how you might answer another person. Instructions, how we talk how we interact with people. Know Christ, God Christ. God enabled me in my conversation. My wife, my children, my neighbors. I heard a pastor one time say, struggle with how you talk to people. Do you struggle at ever sharing your story or asking questions listening to other people? He said that. It's like everybody leaned in and said, practice. Conversation doesn't happen without intentionality. And spiritual conversations do not happen without conversations. He said, practice. Walk around your backyard. I don't have a backyard, so walk around the gulch. And as he said, walk around your backyard, practice on a bush. And I thought, did you just say that? Practice with intentionally ask your kids questions and be quiet and actionless. Interact with family members that are around. Paul says that our speech should be filled with graciousness, with undeserving love and kindness. Look at the story of Jesus. He did proclaim, speak, Sermon on the Mount, but woven throughout the Scripture, he asked an enormous amount of questions. And then he asked another question. And then he was curious in my mind, he looked people right in the eyes. In my mind, he put his phone down and ascribed value and worth to individuals. In my mind, because I see it in Scripture, it's told he was a friend of all kind of people groups. He didn't just isolate with the disciples. He didn't just hang in the synagogue. In my mind, because I see it in the Scripture, he was known as 
probably something you don't want your kids to be known as. He was known as something you probably might not want your wife or your pastor to be known as. But he was known as something that we want to pray that we might be known as. A friend of sinners. Jesus conversed with struggling and sinful people in ways that reveal the story of God. What's next? People drawn to Jesus. Scripture says, Colossians, it should be the same for us. What's next? Some of you on the retreat were laying foundation for justification, sanctification, getting a little bit of a grasp What's next for us? Have you come alongside us? Who in your life is in need of strength and refreshment? Who in your life is in need of Jesus? Did you write out those names? Better yet, could you carve out the time? And if there's no names there, spend time with the Father. As family members, may we raise our kids in this way. May we be a community of faith in this way. May we pray that God would help us see others. What does God say to you? What do you need to share? What do you need to do about? One old little wise writer, D.L. Moody, says it this way. No one can sum up all God is able to accomplish. One solitary life, wholly yielded, adjusted, and obedient. What's next? Let's continue. Walk and live the story of God. Just what's not. Father, we do thank you for the opportunity to live in church. Gives opportunities to follow. Moves outside of our norm. Moves into the lives of others that do not know that are struggling, that need hope, that need refreshment. In hopes that we might come alongside others. Point to people. Father, thank you for bringing people alongside us at different points in our life. Thank you for your love for us.